0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at Foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. My name's Trent Stewart. I'm the lead pastor here. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to First Timothy chapter six. I recently read the story of Brenda Jones, a 69-year-old grandmother who had spent an entire year. Uh, on the donor's list, waiting for a liver to be transplanted into her body. She was extremely sick and on uh, her uh, last dying days, essentially. And on July 18th, the hospital in North Texas called and said that they had a viable liver for her. She was ecstatic. Her family was happy. Everyone was excited. Meanwhile, a 23-year-old Abigail Flores also needed a liver. Her situation was more urgent than Brenda's. Without a transplant, doctors said that she would live maybe one or two more days. And so doctors asked Brenda if she would give up her spot on the list and allow Abigail to have this precious organ. Torn between this decision, knowing that her life was in the balance, as she needed this uh, extremely badly as well, She decided to give Abigail her spot. She said, in my heart, I wouldn't have been able to live if I would have let that young girl die. Knowing that she could die, she gave. Knowing that her life was in the balance here, she still generously gave up her spot. Tremendous story, inspiring story. And I don't know about you, but... For me, I am inspired by generous acts. I'm inspired by people who do such generous things in their life. And I love to be around generous people. And I would would guess that everyone here today would say, yes, I like to hang around generous people. I'm inspired by generous people. And yet, at the same time, many of us in this room still struggle to be a generous person. We like to bless ourselves. We like to, you know, spend a little bit of extra money upon things that we need or things that we want. And we haven't yet found the joy in blessing other people. We've been in a very important series entitled Open House. We opened up this facility five weeks ago, and our motto has been, you belong here. We pray and, and, and hope that you realize no matter who you are or where you've come from, if this is your first time here or, or you're new to our church or maybe the first time in a long time, we believe that you belong here and you can find a place of ministry and a place of hope and encouragement here at Foothills Church. And we've been talking about our core values as a church. And so week one, I said that Jesus is life. It's all about sharing the gospel. We saw several people come to faith in Christ. Week two, I said growth happens in relationships. And so we encourage you to get in a small group. We encourage you to get in a summer Bible study. You can register for that on May 1st. Week three, we said we can't stay here. It's about pursuing the vision of making disciples. And then last week, Pastor Greg shared with us that it's not about me, it's about serving others. And so Let's Go Week begins this week. Our church will be serving our city in a, a multiple various ways. I hope you're plugged into that. What kind of church would we be if we don't actually bless and serve our city. We've been doing this for years as a church, and I hope you'll be a part. It's not about me. It's about serving others. Today's core value is that generosity is a lifestyle. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's about investing in the vision. Now, when you talk about a lifestyle, we're saying that it's not just a one-time event. It's not just a -a once-a-week kind of experience. We're saying this idea of being a generous person it's not something that happens every now and then. No, we are, we are striving to make it a lifestyle. We're, we're pursuing a lifestyle. This is who we are. Not once a week, every now and then, once or twice a year, when Christmas comes around. No, we are striving to live a generous lifestyle. Scripture tells us we're made in the image of God and God generously blesses us every single day, even though we don't deserve it. John 3.16 says that, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so we are, we are never any more like God than when we, in fact, are giving. And, and yet still, a lot of people resist generosity. But we've got to learn how to give if we're going to become more like Christ, because God knows we're at our best when we give. In fact, The Bible uses the word believe 275 times. The Bible uses the word pray or praying 371 times. The Bible uses the word love 714 times and uses the word give 2,162 times. You see, the Bible is a book about generosity. It's not something that's just tacked on to the Christian life. It is the very essence of the Christian life. And Jesus Is and was and continues to be the ultimate giver. So if we strive to be like him, if we strive to be more like Christ, it means that we are becoming a more generous person, becomes a lifestyle. So the question today is how do we move toward a generous lifestyle? And for that, we want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul is writing to his mentee, Timothy. Timothy is now a pastor. And he's giving him some some advice, he's sharing with him some truth from God that he needs to be aware of when it comes to money, when it comes to materialism. And so he says this in verse 9, he says, "...but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction." For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So he gives us some warnings here. He, he, he explains to us that if you are someone who is seeking wealth, if your desire is to be rich, there are some traps that you need to be aware of. So if you're here today and you said, man, I just need more money, I want to raise, I need to get a job to make more money, I need more money. In fact, if we went around the room today and I were to say how many of you uh, would say that you would like some more money, you'd like a raise in your salary, I dare say that every single person in the room would say, yeah, I need a little bit more. I'll take a little bit more, right? Right. So, so Paul warns us, if, if your desire is to be wealthy or to be rich, here's what you need to be aware of. First of all, it tempts you, that first word there, and you will fall into temptation. And the temptation is that you will covet the wrong thing. You'll begin to covet the wrong thing if this is your heart's desire. I mean, coveting is saying, I need X. I want that. I, I have to have that new car. I want that new house. I don't have the money to buy it. But my friend has one, and I want what she has. I want what he has. And now I am not content. I'm not satisfied with what God has given to me. I'm not even recognizing what I do have. Now I'm bitter. I'm bitter at my friend. I'm angry at her. I'm jealous at her. Why, God, have you blessed her with that, and you haven't blessed me with that? And now we set ourselves into this vicious, self-loathing, self-centered, I don't have it. I need this. I want that. And our heart's focus and desire is set on what we don't have instead of what God has blessed us with. We fall into this temptation to covet the wrong thing. And next he says you're going to fall into a snare, a trap. And if you will picture with me one of those old school metal traps that kind of has those teeth. And and so an animal is walking by. There's food there. He comes to get the food. He puts his foot in the trap, and when his foot goes in the trap, wham, the claws shut around this animal's leg and will not let it go. Paul says, this is what it's like if you're desirous to be wealthy. You're going to be ensnared. You're going to be trapped, and you're going to be entangled in this trap. Your, your leg will be stuck in this. You'll, you'll fall into this vicious cycle of thinking and self-loathing and, and self-centeredness. People think, well, if I could just have a little bit more money, then I would be generous. If I get that raise or if I make a little bit more money, get a different job, then I'd be generous. But if you're caught in this trap, you'll never have leftover money. There's never going to be a moment in your life when you are caught in ensnared in, 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 in this way of thinking where you're going to have leftover money. Why? Because as soon as you have a little bit of leftover money, what are you going to do? You're going to spend it. You're going to spend it on other things because you're trying to get things to make you feel a certain way. And this is that vicious, materialistic mentality. It doesn't matter if you make $50,000 a year or $150,000 a year, you won't have anything left over because you're caught in this cycle. You're caught in this trap. And then he says, because of this trap, you're ensnared. You're going to fall prey to many senseless, many senseless purchases. Raise your hand if you would admit to me I'm going, to, I'm going to be honest with you here too. How many of you have ever made a senseless purchase? Anybody in the room? My hand is up. Stupid purchase. Had to have that outfit. Had to have that pair of shoes. Had to have that whatever. Bought it two weeks later. I lost it. Couldn't find it. Didn't even know where it was. This is the vicious trap of materialism. And as Americans, we get really sucked into this way of thinking. He says you're going to fall into many senseless patterns. Many, many, many stupid patterns. Purchases in your life. Many harmful desires are going to plunge you into what? Ruin. They're going to ruin you. They're going to lead you to destruction. So you become destroyed by wealth seeking. You become destroyed by this pursuit for riches. He uses the word pierced. That we would be pierced. And, and it gives us this idea of these teeth in this trap that would sink its teeth into your flesh and hold on so tight that you, you can't get loose. I mean, can you think of a more terrible way for an animal to die <laughs> than to be trapped in one of these vicious claws and just basically die of dehydration or, you know, uh, blood loss? A terrible thing. Now that same mentality is happening to some of you in the area of wealth and your desire for more. You are slowly bleeding out. Your confidence is shot your purpose and meaning has been lost. Why? Because I got to get stuff. And I got to get more. And as I get more, I still don't feel quite happy and and I'm always looking at my neighbor and my friend and they got stuff and they got more and and why can't I have that and now I'm unsatisfied and I continue this search and this this seeking and 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 I'm never quite finding happiness. God is warning you today. Recently rented the movie All the Money in the World seen this movie, it just came out on demand, and I watched it. Mark Wahlberg is in it, usually a fan of his. And uh, it's a story of J.P. Getty. Uh, If you don't know who he is, he was the the richest man in the world at one time. And in the late 70s, as a billionaire oil tycoon, his grandson was kidnapped in Italy. And his kidnappers uh, were requesting $17 million for the release of this 16-year-old grandson. And so the story in the movie is about J.P. Getty's unwillingness to pay the ransom and his mother's fight for her son, to find her son. And so, so he refused to pay the $17 million. For months, this goes on. For months, this, this young kid is, is in, uh, uh, you know, imprisoned by these uh, kidnappers. And then they lower the price to $7 million, and still he wouldn't pay. And in one of the most climactic moments of the film, Mark Wahlberg, who is the investigator trying to help the mom find the son, he has this intense conversation with Getty, and he says, you are a billionaire. They had just cut off the kid's ear and mailed it to them, warning them again, if he does not pay, they're going to kill the grandson. And he says, you're a billionaire. Why won't you pay this ransom? And Getty says, Because I don't have enough to spare. And he said, You're the wealthiest man in the world. How much more money do you need to feel secure? And JP Getty looked straight into his eyes and he said, More. I need more. And folks, that is the plight, that is the temptation. That is the demise of every single person in this room who desires to get rich. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. A moment ago, I asked you, you think you could use a little bit more money? And everybody, you know, your heart fluttered and said, Yes just admit it. Mine did. I'm teaching it, and I, my heart fluttered. I was like, yeah, I could use a little more. What does the Scripture say? We'll never have enough. Why? Because we want more. That's our flesh. That's our sinful nature. Verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So the love of money. Money is not evil. But when we have a love and desire for money and we are searching and trying to accumulate more wealth in our life, it leads to all kinds of evil. Are you caught in the trap? If you're caught in the trap today, you've got to go home and cut up every single credit card you own, begin to pay off your debt, save 10%, give 10%, and live off the rest. It's very simple. And if that's not you today, perhaps you have been caught up into this vicious cycle. A nicer home will not bring you happiness. A nicer vacation is not the answer. A nicer car is not going to bring you joy. Let's continue by looking at verse 17. He says in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Now my wife said, were you saying Haughty, don't be a haughty in the first services. No, honey, I said haughty. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future." so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, a few statements here. He makes two don't statements, don't, don't. And then he makes a couple of do statements, do, do. And then he makes a couple of be statements, be and be. So don't, don't, do, do, be, be. You with me? Let's see what they are. First, he says, very uh, in the very beginning here, he says, to the rich, right? To the rich, here's some encouragement. Now, it's not wrong to be wealthy, but those who happen to have money, he gives some advice. Not just advice, he gives a biblical command on how to handle your wealth. And so I know many of you are probably thinking, well, I'm not rich. And let me just, let's just qualify this for a moment. But on some level, every single one of us in here is rich. How do I know that? Well, because you have a roof over your head, you're not worried about the, the next meal that you're gonna eat. As far as I can tell, everybody has clothes on today, which is a a good thing. You compare that to the rest of the world, and two-thirds of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So when you look from a worldly perspective, worldwide perspective, they would say, you and I are wealthy today. But now, of course, rich to you and me in the U.S. is different from the rest of the world. There are people in the room who make a combined salary of $100,000, and they still feel like they are poor. They still feel like they're not rich because they don't have a, you know, a house in the Hamptons or a boat or a helicopter or whatever in their mind they think is wealth. But let's just say that if you have enough money to buy your kid an Xbox, you have enough disposable income to be considered rich by most of the world. If your family has more than one car, you'd be considered rich. If you have air conditioning in your home, you and I would be considered rich by 99% of the people in this world. So the first don't statement he makes to those of us who have wealth is don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. That's what it means. Don't be prideful. It's good advice for rich people because rich people tend to be arrogant. Let's just admit it. We tend to be prideful. Some of you have already checked out from this sermon, Trent, you're talking about money and churches shouldn't talk about money. Pastors shouldn't talk about money. Money is mine. It's my business. You shouldn't talk about it. You must be new to our church. <laughs> because we teach everything in the Bible, including the over 2,162 verses that talk about generosity and giving. We're going to talk about it. Why? Because it's, 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 it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. So This isn't a guilt trip today. This isn't a you better... Bro. This is a, if you want to find life, if you want to find meaning, if you want to find purpose, if you want to get your leg out of the trap and enjoy life to the fullest, you're going to have to experience the biblical truth that Timothy is, is, is explaining right here, that Paul is explaining to Timothy and to you and I today. He says, don't be arrogant. In fact, if you said that in your mind, Trent, shouldn't be talking about that. That perhaps is a sign that you are an arrogant rich person. Secondly, he says, don't set your hope on money. It's uncertain. Don't be arrogant and don't set your hope on money. And as soon as I read that, you know what I I think to myself when I read that? Check. Don't have my hope in money. Oh, but wait, how do we know? How do you know? I'm quick to say, nah, I'm good. But how do you know? Well, here are a few things that I thought of this week that I thought, man, these are pretty good indicators. Do you have credit card debt? Well... Do you have excessive debt, period? Because debt, especially credit card debt, is essentially you saying, here's what I make, but I'm going to spend more than I make because I need more stuff, because if I get more stuff, I'll be happy and my kids will be happy and I'll be able to do this and do that and do this and do that. And so I've got credit card debt and we're living beyond our means. That's a good indicator that you might have your hope set in wealth or money. I think a lot of times we could also tend to think that if if we could get more stuff, it's going to bring that happiness in our life. And as we think about that, as we strive for that, as we set our hope in those things, we begin to depend upon money to do the impossible. Because things cannot give us happiness. College students, high school students don't choose a career path based upon what the salary could look like. Choose your career path based on the direction that God is calling you to go. What does God want you to do with your life? That's the direction that you must go, not how much money am I going to get or how much money would I have. So do we have credit card debt? Do we have excessive debt? Do you give regularly to God's church towards his kingdom? Are you giving a percentage? These are quick indicators that perhaps your hope is set on money and not on God. Don't set your hope on money. He says, do, here are the do statements. Do enjoy the wealth that God provides. Because he says, God richly provides everything for you to enjoy, for me to enjoy. So he has blessed us with our resources, right? And I don't feel guilty for that. I, I enjoy what God has given me. I don't feel guilty for the house that I have. I don't feel guilty for the car that I drive or the car that my my wife drives. I, I don't feel guilty for you know, blessing my kids with certain things. Why? Because as long as I can remember from the very first job that I ever had as a janitor for the church that I was serving in, cleaning toilets, I was tithing. I was giving a percentage to my church faithfully every week. And then when when I met my wife and we got married and we moved to seminary, she was making $22,000 a year. I was taking 18 hours of classes and volunteering in a church that we were serving in there. And we lived off of $22,000. And I know what it feels like to not be able to go out to eat, including Taco Bell. Couldn't even afford that. I know what it's like not to go see movies. I know what it's like not to be able to go do anything fun, really, anything that costs money. And at that time, we still gave 10 percent every single weekend. God provided for every single need. And and that's been the pattern of our life. And, and as a result of that faithfulness, God has allowed us to make some, some wise decisions with property. And God's blessed us in that. And he's blessed us in other areas. And, 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 and as a result, you know, I, my wife's got a nice minivan, right? I mean, big deal, right? But it's, it's not, I don't feel guilty for that. I don't feel guilty. We, I, I love my house, right? I don't feel guilty for that. God's given me that to enjoy. And so, you know, however God has blessed you, enjoy it. Feel guilty for that? Enjoy it. However, it's hard to enjoy it if you're not doing the next statement. And the next do statement is do good with your wealth. So if you're not doing any good with your wealth, and the only, the only thing that you are doing with your wealth is spending it upon yourself and your family— and you think, well, I'm blessing my kids and I'm blessing my wife and I'm blessing me and I'm, I'm, I'm generous to my, my family. Well, we don't call that generous, we call that selfishness. If all you are doing is blessing yourself and blessing your family, that's called selfishness. If you're not honoring God with your income and you're not giving God a percentage of that income, you're being disobedient, plain and simple. So he says, do good with it. I'm not, what, what I'm specifically talking about here is investing in the kingdom of God. This is what he means. Now, I've used the word tithe a couple of times. Now, what is that? Tithe is is a a word used that literally means 10%. In in the Old Testament, the tithe referred to God's people giving the first 10% of their gross income to God to fund the ministry of the temple. You can read Numbers 18, Numbers 27. Read Malachi 3. It's all over. Malachi 3.10, God says, "...bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test." Says the Lord of hosts, if and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God's like, just test me in this. Put me first in your resources and and bring that tithe to the temple for temple ministry and, and watch and see how I bless you and take care of you, and I'll open up the floodgates of heaven upon you. Now, what about the New Testament? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe, mint, and dill, and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus says, look, tithe. Yeah, that's, go for it. You should be doing that. So he commends it. He could have said, stop doing it. But he commends it, right? And then he says, get to the harder stuff. Love, justice, mercy. That's the tough stuff. Right. Tithing is easy. Tithing is me saying, God, I'm going to return to you what you've blessed me with. So, you know, we give 10%. We, we, we start there and we say, God, this is, you, you own it all. You've given me everything that I have. And so I'm just simply going to return to you this percentage. Jesus often took the Old Testament commands and he, he supersized them. He, he, he elevated them. He says in the Old Testament, he says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't look lustfully at a woman. Raises the bar, raises the standard. He says, you've heard that it said, do not murder, but I tell you, don't have anger in your heart against your brother. Elevates it. Same idea here in, 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 in the, with the idea of generosity. Because in the New Testament, we're commanded to be generous. And so this idea that tithing is kind of the starting place, it's the floor that I stand on, but it's not the ceiling, it's not where I stop. I believe God calls us to be generous. For some of you, you're so wealthy that 10% is like throwing a lawn chair off the Titanic. You don't even feel it. You can't even notice that. When we give, we feel it. I see it. We could do a lot of other stuff with that. But no, we put God first and we say, yeah. We sacrifice. We give back. Fifthly, not only does he say, be generous, be do good with your, with your wealth, he says now two B statements. And number five is be rich with good deeds. Be rich, be wealthy, have a lot of good deeds, essentially. Some of you got a long number on your paycheck, but when it comes to numbers of minutes you serve the Lord, it's pretty bankrupt. This week is Let's Go Week. We've done this. Uh, from the beginning of our church, where we have uh, used a, a week in the spring to love on our city and encourage everybody in our church to get involved in some kind of ministry and come some kind of service on on one day. And give one hour, right? Give two hours uh, to, to serve our city. What kind of church would we be if we if we aren't loving and serving our city? And so for one week, we get everybody involved in this and together push towards this endeavor. And I hope that you'll be a part of it and He says, be generous, be rich with good deeds. And then number six, be generous and ready to share. And as I've said, many of us are generous with ourselves, but that's that's not generosity. Be generous means that you are ready to share it with others. You're ready to share your time, your talents, your treasures, your, your resources for the kingdom of God. He says, be generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's writing to the church there and they're collecting up Uh, An offering. They're going to give this offering to the Jerusalem church. And Paul says this, remember this in verse 6. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Probably not a farmer in here, but it makes sense. If you plant one seed, you're going to get one crop. If you plant many seeds, you're going to get many plants, which yield many uh, crops, many fruits. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Decide in your heart how much to give, right? So, so what have you decided to give? If, if your mentality when it comes to money is that it's yours and whatever you got in your wallet on Sunday, you're going to give a few bucks, I would say Scripture is very clear. Decide in your heart what you're going to give. That means if you're married, you're going to talk about it with your spouse and you're going to say, okay, what are we going to systematically plan to give to God's kingdom? And so we, we, we come up with a percentage. We come up with an amount, and we want to be generous. He says, think about it, and, and, and I want you to decide in your heart what you're going to give. And he says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That's not what today is about. That's not what generosity is about. He says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God would generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. It's all his. He gives us and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be what? Generous. God enriches me so that I can take more vacations. (laughs) That's not what it says. God enriches me so that, you know, I can give, you know, Mercedes Benz to my kids and, you know, no, He enriches me so that I can be generous, generous towards the kingdom of God. And when we take your gifts to those, He says, who need them, they will thank God. So when we give, People receive these gifts. Needs are met. He says they will thank God. So verse 12, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met. So, so needs, ministry is, is happening, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So when you give, when I give to God's church, to his kingdom, when we invest into that endeavor, we see two results happening. Ministry is done, and people thank God and worship God. So people are coming to know Christ, they're worshiping God, they're connecting to God, and ministry and needs are happening. The result of generosity is threefold. The result of this, he says in verse 19, is that we store up treasures in heaven. So there's an an eternal reward when we give to God. There's an eternal reward. We're storing up treasures in heaven. I know, I know. It's really hard to think about eternity because all we can really think about is is Sunday today (laughs) and what's going to happen Monday and maybe you've planned through Friday, but that's kind of the extent of it, right? Because we're, we're day by day. Some of you are paycheck to paycheck. And so when we think eternally, though, broad picture here, we're thinking, as I invest in the kingdom of God, I am storing up treasures in heaven. There's going to be an eternal reward for you and me. And then there's an internal reward. Verse 19, he says, you're going to truly experience what truly living is. Truly living, True life, real life, life with purpose, life with meaning. There's an internal value here as I become generous. I start to figure out what real life is about. And for the majority of our life, we spend it trying to gain stuff and get stuff and and, and get popularity and and, and get, you know, elevated. Our status is elevated. I got to get mine, right? But we find out that none of that really, truly makes life worth living, It's all really empty. That's why the scripture says you've got to become a generous person. Because as I give and I am generous, then I begin to experience true life. And then there are external rewards as well. And those external rewards are the people that I have impacted as a result of my generosity. They praise God because of my generosity. I want to illustrate that point by inviting Randall and Pamela Pickens to the stage. They have been attending our church and a part of our church since 2009, and God has done an incredible work in and through their life. Would you guys go ahead and come up on stage? Would you guys welcome them, give them a round of applause for coming today? One awesome thing about uh, Randall and Pamela, you guys will front and center. I know you guys have no idea what's going to happen right now. You're a little <laughs> nervous, but uh, if you will. One cool thing about Randall and Pamela is that uh, from the very beginning, uh, they were here at the school, and they have been serving in kids ministry. Uh, Randall, if you remember, you were an elder uh, way back in the day mm-hmm. and uh, just served in, in, and did incredible things in the life of the church. And and uh, really, from that that early stage in, in their ministry, they were givers. And so they gave and sacrificially gave above and beyond. And, and um, they, they've been given since 2009. They've shown through their lives that generosity truly is a lifestyle. And so we wanted to illustrate to our people here and to you just how that generosity has impacted uh, the lives of others. In 2010, as our church was meeting in the school, um, and by the way, remember the first Sunday you were here, you were decked out in a suit. Yeah. Three-piece suit, man. That was awesome. That's the last that's, time. That's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah. But, but after that, you, you stopped. And so you look good today, though. I like it. But <laughs> we were in the school in 2010, we knew God was doing something great in our church. We knew he was going to do something awesome. And, and so we decided to look for a permanent location. And so we, we started a, a campaign that we called Foothills I Love You. And uh, that was our first campaign to, to to purchase a facility, and 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 you guys gave, and you guys were a part of the leadership of that, and you made a commitment to give over and above and to help us buy the facility that was next door. It was called Thunderworld, and and uh, that was our first step. And on February twenty seventh, uh, twenty seven, two thousand eleven. We moved in our new facility. We opened that day by baptizing a guy whose life was changed, and his name is Greg Deermeyer. Guys, this is Greg right behind you. I don't know if you know Greg or not, but he was the first person that we actually baptized in our new facility. And in the summer of 2011, our church continued to grow. Like crazy, And we knew God was up to something really special. And as our church grew, so did our students and kids' ministries. Our family ministries uh, were growing. And and we were able to open up more space and to see more kids and students come to faith in Christ. And uh, one of those who you served, Pamela, in the kids' ministry uh, was my daughter, Bailey. And so this is Bailey. And she was one of the first ones we baptized in the new space as well. The facility continued to bless our people, and and your giving made that possible, your service. God continued to use you to grow our church. Uh, That November of 2011, we had to go to two different services, and so we thought that was a huge deal. And during that season, a guy by the name of Eric Weatherby brought his family, and this is Eric. And at that time, he and Brittany only had one daughter, and he was looking for a church to really call uh, home and raise his family in, and as a result of Eric being here, he's now wrestling with a call to, to full-time ministry. And so uh, you were able to impact him. And it was during that season that Stephanie Sanders came as well. And Stephanie and her two kids, Samuel and Allison, um, came. And, and as a result of, of, of your giving and your investment, her life was changed and both her son and her daughter uh, came to faith and were, were baptized as well. So God used you guys in that way as well. And not only that, but Chad Watson came, and <clears throat> this is Chad. And, gee, you guys keep moving. You got to stay right. See this mark right here? That's your mark. That's our mark. You're trying to hide. I know what you're trying to do. So, Chad. And Becca, they started attending our church during this season. And uh, if you guys remember, they were struggling with infertility. And uh, they, they came to us and they asked us if we would pray over them. And so we had a special service. We prayed over them. And, and uh, sure enough, wasn't long after that, that God blessed them with a beautiful daughter. And it was, it was a miracle. It really was. And, and then uh, four weeks ago, God blessed them with twins. And so open up the floodgates, God. <laughs> so is that enough? You good there? let <laughs> pump the brakes, God, on that one. And then after that, Chad and Elizabeth Loveday started attending our church, and they were newlyweds. And so this is Chad and Elizabeth, and, and uh, as young, a, a young married couple uh, found our church, and, and God was using them, and God has grown them as leaders so much, though, that now that they're leading a small group, and they've had two young children, uh, really amazing kids now, and, and, and you're giving allowed them to have a place for their family to come and experience life, and, In 2012, our church was still growing, and God was still up to something big, and part of the Foothills I Love You campaign was buying the facility, but also renovating the the space so that we can have a a real auditorium, because we were meeting in where Kid Street used to be, and and so, um, because of your giving and your investment, we were able to to renovate that space, and we were able to use that. And then our kids had an amazing space as well, and it it really was a game changer for our church at that point. And and because you guys gave, and because of how God was blessing, people like Kurt and Kelly Newber came at that time. And so, Kurt and Kelly, here they come. It was during that season that they came to faith, and they were baptized, and. And uh, God used them in an incredible way in their life. I love the hat today, Kurt, representing not only that, but Kristen McCarge and her family, uh, her husband, Chris, started to come. And it was during that time that their son, James, came. And here's Kristen. And Kristen um, Is now a part of our staff. God called her to be in ministry and now she's a part of our staff leading our hospitality ministry. And her son James uh, invited some friends to church. And uh, one of the friends that he invited to church was a guy by the name of Hunter. And so this is Hunter. And Hunter, you come on out, man. And so Hunter came and he didn't know Jesus at that time. You were a rebel, weren't you, man? You were just all kinds of trouble and just kidding. But he didn't know Jesus. And uh, as a result of your giving and the the ministries that our church was providing, he came to faith. And Kristen's son James also invited a girl named Skylar. And Skylar was the same situation as Hunter, like she didn't know Christ. She she came to know Christ. She was baptized and, and she invited her whole family to come. And and they did. And her family was a part of our church. And her two little sisters, Molly and Mia, found Jesus and they were baptized as well. And so here comes Molly and Mia. Their life has been changed as a result of of your investment, of your giving. And not only that, but man, God began to to really stir in our heart. We wanted to do something like big in the city that had had never been done. And and because of your giving and the giving of so many other people, we decided to do something uh, that we called Easter on the Field. And Easter on the Field was in 2014, and we had the biggest crowd we have ever had. We baptized over 70 people that day. It was an incredible day in the life of our church. And it was that day that Emma Oliver uh, came forward and and she was baptized. And so this is Emma. Emma was actually friends with my daughter, Bailey. And so that connection was there and her family came and and now her family serves on our worship team. and, And Emma also leads worship for our student ministries. And so they have impacted our church in incredible, incredible ways. Easter on the field, we also saw a guy by the name of Chris Ferry come, and, and he was baptized that day. And, and so uh, this is Chris, and Chris now serves as a team leader in our family ministry, and he's wrestling with the call to ministry as well. His family is plugged in, as, and, and God has just been blessing him in incredible ways. 2009 to 2014 was just an incredible, amazing season of growth for our church and how God has, has used us, and we knew he wasn't done. We knew he wasn't done. Like we knew we needed to create more space. We knew God wanted to bring more people to faith. We knew God wanted to do more in our church. And so we started a new campaign that we called Invest so that we could buy this property that we're standing on and uh, build the facility that we get to be in here today. And you guys committed and you guys gave and you guys continue to serve. And as a result, uh, folks like Donna Bauman started to attend and her husband, David, and their entire family. And this is Donna. And uh, Donna and her husband went through our entire journey process and uh, became small group leaders and they're, they're leading a small group now and, and uh, God's using them in great ways and, and Donna actually also went through our counseling training and, and uh, became a counselor and, and uh, she counsels at the end of base camp. And so one day in base camp, uh, she starts to uh, counsel this this girl, this young woman, and and that led into a relationship that read into, led into a discipleship relationship. And then eventually, Megan came to know Christ. And so this is Megan. Megan, come on out. Megan came to know Christ. She was baptized, and uh, now she's serving and engaging in the life of this church. And so God just continues to bless, continues to do amazing things. Things. And then finally, here we got Nicholas. Nicholas, come on out, my man. As a result of more growth and more change happening, and and as a result of being able to open up this facility uh, on Easter uh, just a few weeks ago, Nicholas came forward and, and uh, he he was baptized. And so, what's up, man? How you doing? Nicholas says he's gonna be a preacher. <laughs> he actually says he's going to be the pastor at Foothills Church. And so <laughs> I got about 20 years. Is that what it is? Maybe, roughly. So Nicholas comes and, and he's baptized on Easter. And and a cool cool little tidbit here is that Chris got to baptize him, right? It's his son. And uh, as a result of, of his faithfulness in, in, in 2014 on the field, now his son is blessed. And And you can just see how Megan was blessed and Emma was blessed and Molly and Mia and Hunter and and all throughout all of these folks here blessed and and encouraged and find Jesus and, and grow closer to Jesus. And it's a result of folks like you who've given, who've served. And without folks like them, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be able to enjoy The blessing, and we wouldn't have space to be able to do what we do and and to see continued lives transformed. So, we're grateful for those who are living a life of generosity, like Pamela and Randall. And as a result, we worship Jesus, right? Our hands, eyes, heart lifted high as we praise Jesus for what he has done and who he is. Yeah, let's praise him today. Let's praise him today. Because he's the one that gets the credit. He, he's the one that deserves all praise. Randall, Pamela, they get the blessing. There's many of you, we could have pulled you up here too and said, man, it's because of your giving. But this just kind of illustrates to us that when we talk about generosity, when we talk about giving, it's not about money. It's all about people. And when you look at all of these folks, this is just a fraction of the lives that have been transformed by the work and the ministry of this church. And so I started to think, you know, I started to think, what would it look like if everybody in our church actually gave? Because statistically they say that 20% of the people give 80% of the resources, right? And so what would it look like if 100% of the people that attend Foothills Church decided on one day that we were all gonna give 10%? What would that actually look like? And I thought, well, that's a great call to action, right? So next Sunday, I want to encourage every single one of you to come back. And so that's step one. Step two is come prepared to give 10%. Now, I'm not asking you to do it for a year or for two years or for, you know, one day, one day, start at one day. Many of you are already doing that. So we just want to ask you to continue to do that. But next Sunday, I want to encourage you to come back, be prepared, give online, bring a check, bring cash, whatever you want to do. There's envelopes here. And on one day, we're going to give every single one of us 10% of our income, and we're going to see our capacity as a church. How much could we really do if everybody gave? Because I know there's like six different staff positions that we need in our church. I know we've talked about second campuses. I know we've talked about counseling centers. I know, uh, hello, we've got to pay this thing off, right? And we just don't want to make payments. We want to pay it off. And so like, like if everybody gave their part, what would it look like? And so that's next Sunday. And so we thank God. We're encouraged by the lives that have been changed. And uh, I want to encourage you guys to go home and get ready, get planned for next Sunday to give 10%. Hey, we love you guys. And that's it for today. You guys have a great week. We're going to see you next Sunday.